Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. You could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, entrepreneurship and leadership channel listeners on the New Books Network. I'm here with my business partner and friend, Kimo Fonsagidis, and our special guest, Rudrad Mitra, whose name I've just mangled, and many apologies. I first met met you, it must have been six or eight years ago in Warsaw before a CAM Entrepreneurs event, but since then you've been doing many different things. And um, would you like to just introduce yourself the way you'd like to introduce yourself now if you meet uh, uh, someone for the first time, either at a social engagement or a, or, or a business networking meeting? Well, interesting question. So I actually always avoid talking about my work related things or what I do as an entrepreneur as a business. So if I have to introduce myself, I always say that, you know, I kind of either doing nothing or I'm just kind of exploring what's out there, doing things that living life peacefully. Uh, So this is how I normally would introduce myself in any event or when I meet people. (laughs) Which, Which isn't very helpful for our listeners. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I believe that that leads to a much nicer, interesting conversation because then you talk about more meaningful, at least in my mind, more meaningful and deeper things like, you know, how can you do nothing or how can, what does you mean by sleeping peacefully? Because I think that that's kind of uh, things that we all actually at the end of, uh, at the end uh, in our life look for at the end. So, so that's, I think it's why well, I mean, now you've, you've, you've piqued my, my interest. So let's, I say we go this route now, because so why don't, why don't you tell us, uh, why don't you t- like yeah so so that's that's interesting so can you tell us how does, what does it mean what like so how do you how do you sleep more why do you sleep more peacefully and do you need to work to sleep more peacefully can you just yeah so i actually th- thanks for asking this question i actually wrote about it also that you know i, I compared the eastern philosophy with the western philosophy so one is kind of typically the western mindset is very driven by goal oriented like we set some goals we try to achieve those goals and we consider that when we achieve those goals that we'll be successful that's a typical way of kind of setting the goals the problem with this kind of mindset is that um often you know to achieve those goals we are stressed because we're trying to control as much as possible and the more we try to control something and we know that we cannot really control everything so we kind of get more and more stressed so it's you know affects our sleep and things like that and i I recently i was reading someone posted that oh i'm working really hard i haven't slept for last months and he's very proud about it now like that's not something i'm proud of yes (laughs) so that's very goal-driven focused you know that's the way one way of looking at let's say I call it more Western mindset, but of course now Eastern cultures of people have also moved to be that kind of mindset. The other side of the mindset is what we typically call Eastern philosophy, which is you're not trying to control too much. You're just trying to, you have a vision of your life. You say, okay, I, this is the direction I want my life to go towards. Well, I guess, okay, I want, I'll enjoy, for example, education. I want to, I love doing, being the best of myself. I like being involved in the things that inspire me, helping others. Let's say we kind of define the overall vision of the life, but we don't set really concrete goals year by year or month by month. So it, it keeps us our mind more open. And every day we try to be, do interesting things, do the best what we could do without being kind of bogged down to a, a fixed mindset goal. And if we can't achieve those goals, then we get stressed out. So to me, sleeping peacefully is actually a very important criteria, which is what makes us truly say, peaceful. 
one thing I, I don't think just being lying on a beach and, and having enough money lying on a beach makes us peaceful either because that's a waste of our time. So one thing we want to be productive, we want to be the best of ourselves. So that's important, but at the yeah. same time, it's not important, but it's also important that not to be too bogged down to a fixed set of goals because that brings stress to us. The more yeah, it's very it's like a burden as well, right? I mean, the, the yes. actual they become they become weights in your life as well. Because I actually do, I, I absolutely t- totally agree with uh, generally with sleeping peacefully. I'm a big fan of sleeping peacefully, and I think everybody should achieve that. But I actually I'm also a fan of uh, Eastern philosophy. And I do, uh, and I do, th- and and I do hear, uh, and and it is very interesting to hear the way you describe it. Um, that we in the Western world we tend to create a, a, more of a structure, a, a fixed structure, and that in and of itself creates stress because the structures and the, the the goals or whatever the steps or whatever you want to call them, like people get stressed when they when they work in a job and they haven't moved up a level or something like that, right? That's like, isn't that like a stupid game that somebody created? I mean, like the, you know, there's no, it doesn't really make sense, but that's, that's interesting. So how, but okay, well, what did you like, can you just tell us about yourself a little bit? I mean, did you, um, yeah. where did you go? Where did you, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Um, yeah, so I actually was born in India and kind of did school in India, but I left India almost 19 years ago, actually now. Um, and, and, you know, in the first part of my life, I call it, I worked as an AI researcher. Uh, published some research papers. I did my master's in Cambridge, and then I had built a few startups. Um, uh, th- that's, you know, I that was more like, I would say, kind of more towards a Western mindset, still having fixed goals and trying to succeed. And, and this is also, I've seen my evolving as me as a person that when I'm kind of insecure, I'm more trying to control because I'm trying to prove that I'm kind of, you know, somehow I could do things in my life. So that was the first, that's a part of my life. And then there was this 2017, 18, 19, I think that's the time when I started kind of, I left the company that made, uh, there was revenue was quite, quite good few, I think seven, six, seven million dollars. And I, I just didn't feel that making money actually was something that was important to me. And kind of, I started kind of being in, at the point of being exploring. Uh, I was, you know, that's when I also met Richard. Uh, I used to, luckily, I was luckily invited to different conferences. I had the opportunity to go and travel in different countries became a mentor. So through that opportunity, I tried to meet a lot of people. And that's the, the time when I kind of, you know, also started reading more, writing more, and that led to opening Omdena. I was never thinking about opening another startup because I was kind of tired of the whole startup ecosystem. But uh, but I kind of came up with this, so another way of hopefully <laughs> building a startup. And, and so I will say that I could divide my life into these kind of different phases, AI researcher, so were you originally, uh, so let's, when, when you, when you, and so you, yeah, when you went, you, I guess you did your master's degree in Cambridge or something like that. Yeah. And then you, and then it, would you class, I just want to stick a little bit to this philosophy. Would you classify yourself as actually going the other way, like actually going to a Western style of like, you actually were there, you were living the Western, like you were actually living the Western style of life, yeah. basically of, yeah. of, of, of trying to achieve. And, 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 and then you, and then. Um, and and then okay, that's very interesting. And then that's when you you reject it. And then it's I guess at some point you rejected that and you moved to the to to you changed your basically your life philosophy. And then can you just would you just give us a couple minutes just to understand what was this business that you set up and and what were uh, what did it do and and did you sell it or did you what did you what actually happened with that 
that business. You mean the, the the part of the, the so I built six startups actually. At the, oh, okay. Well, maybe tell old. us just a little bit, just to get us flavor for what you were doing, like what, like, because that, you know, this is an entrepreneur uh, podcast, so it's like to hear what what were you setting up and 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 what did you do with these? Like, <laughs> I I find it fascinating. I founded two businesses in my whole life. And I'm like, this is like a long life now. I'm in my fifties, and so, and you know, I always am fascinated by people who found, and you're young, and you founded multiple, and you you quit them like a long time ago. So, like, what happened? Did they did they stop? Did they maybe just a couple words, basically? Yeah, you well, basically, you could build so many cells because most of them failed. You know, simple. Oh, as oh okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, if it succeeds, then you don't end up so fast, right? Okay, so, maybe the ones that worked, then there were the one that worked. <laughs> so, so, so the short answer is four of them failed by, by, by some way. I mean, I would say, of course, you know, define failure, but I, I don't want to go into philosophical definition of failure now. <laughs> financially failed. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, so, so that that's why it was easy. The first startup we started in Cambridge, you know, within a year or one and a half years, couldn't make money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I mean, but the the one that made the the most money was actually a a, a platform, something similar to what I'm building in Amdena, actually, but more for a platform for developing mobile and web apps at 2014 15 you know there was a big need of development of mobiles and what we realized that there are developers around the world uh like like as we know global platform just where developers can come and build those apps mostly for startups or mostly startups like well-funded startups based in the us so connecting well-vetted developers or companies with uh uh, uh, mostly startups uh, in the US, let's say, mostly that's that's the business model was. And as you can imagine that, you know, it's typical like a top tail kind of platform, you know, it's e kind of easy to scale enough good developers, uh, you know, whom you can connect with businesses and that, that's the basic business was. Uh, at certain point, what happened that I, it was, there was a two other co-founders, founders of those, and they, I just said that I don't want to be, you know, I just felt like this is not what I want to do. Going further on, I just left the company. I, I was not interested too much uh, of anything else. So I just left it, and I think that that was one of the best decisions because when you leave something and you don't have necessarily a lot of money, that also kind of keeps the mind active, right? You know, you, you kind of think, okay, what I need to do something. When I had money to kind of survive for the next five, seven years, I mean, it's not about that, but it's just kind of you still kind of not become a lazy. You still have this kind of this kind of desire to do something, but you don't know what exactly you want to do. So that gives you this couple of years of space that gave me time to just kind of be free and, and explore what's out there. And which ultimately led you to the Eastern philosophy, I guess, and, and, and this different or this a different approach to Yeah, well, I mean, I growing, which, yeah. yeah, I mean, I grew up in India to somehow, you know, there was something the Eastern way of living life was still anywhere there. It's not like so prominent okay. in, in my mind. But I think what happened that during that time, of course, because I started reading more and and I guess I got more connected with my roots and which I kind of often talk about that you know being connected back to your roots understanding mm -hmm. who you are finding your identity so I think that was a phase which really helped me to connect to my roots and and understanding myself who am I and my identity that's interesting I can keep going Richard but I feel like this is between me and <laughs> me and Richard yeah. at the moment no I, I was going to make a comment about self-awareness that if you sort of stop and you mentioned the guy posting about how they been, hadn't been sleeping and working nonstop for weeks or months, I don't remember, and they were kind of proud. But that suggested to me that he was trying to impress other people. He was like showing off. And I think quite often a lot of people live to impress other people. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's their partner, sometimes it's society at large. But ultimately you need to, if not impress yourself, be happy with yourself. So it's quite 
quite a lot is stepping away from the judgment of other people, isn't it? Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think it all comes down to the same thing that you now how you are, um, how many insecurities I have. I always say that the more we try to control something, the more control, control other people liking us or, or control the, how, what others think about is how insecure you are. It's, it's basically yeah, a direct relation between that. The more we become secure and less insecure we are, the more we don't care. So it's, it's just simply as that. Uh, okay, so, so the reason I asked that was to ask a bit about your family background, that obviously, uh, you said you grew up in India, and I, very often with entrepreneurs, there's something in their background, either they're rejecting their background, or they're following in their family footsteps, and w would your parents have been, did they, they must have been proud of you going to study in, in you know, prestigious, famous universities, but were they happy with you being an entrepreneur? Did you realize you're going to be an entrepreneur? Was it was it a surprise for them? And then if they were proud, were they disappointed when you quit? And if they weren't proud, were they considered? How, how did you relate what you did in your life to your background and your 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 family upbringing? Well, actually, none of no one in my family. I mean, I'm talking about extended family of like 200 people. Have you ever <laughs> businessmen, right? Like Indian extended family. My parents. Come from a very traditional family. My father was a government officer. My mother was a housewife. So when I kind of finished my Cambridge, I still remember that I started a company. My father was disappointed. He said he couldn't sleep at night. He's distressed. What's happening with my life? <laughs> so, so no, it's none of the family background that kind of helped. What actually perhaps helped me, I often tell this story also that was being in Cambridge and being in the ecosystem helped me a lot. Like, you know, when you, and I, I still remember one ex experience I had, I met Twitter co-founder. I don't know which one, but I remember one of them. <laughs> and, you know, when I spoke to him for 15 minutes, I felt like, oh, this guy doesn't seem to be any smarter than me. It's just like he got the opportunities. He was in the right place at the right time. So he could build the Twitter. So that kind of helped me to say, okay, if he could do something, maybe I can also do that because that, that helps a lot to kind of, because often before that, I, I used to think of people who like, for example, Mark Zuckerberg, I think people are super smart and that's where they could build a company. That's not actually the reality is so. So I think that experience in Cambridge helped me a lot to start being into the entrepreneurship journey. I don't think the family background really helped that much. Mm. So you said your father couldn't sleep at night when you tried to start a business. And presumably he might have hoped you would get a you get a prestigious job, an engineering job, or yeah. work for Google or something like that. That so that was. And then when you when you stop when you stop doing your successful startup and said you're just going to chill out. Is the disappointment? <laughs> did you close yeah, your? He stopped sleeping again. Yeah, but, I mean, at that time, I, I mean, that I remember because he wrote an email about uh, that he's worried and he couldn't sleep. But the next part, he was he didn't write an email, but I remember he he was concerned that I may not have any money. So he said, "Okay, do I need to send you some money because you know you're not earning anything?" And so that, that was the point. I mean, like you know, you can understand that coming from India, mostly such kind of societies, security, job securities are something we always look for, right? So that's again a kind of control. We want to control our life as much as possible. Right. So, so job, not having a job is like stressful. Like, oh, what will you do if you don't have money in five years or something, right? So, right. So, point. Okay. So, 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 it was really you weren't like one of these textbook entrepreneurs who was like selling lemonade at the age of eight and sort of plotting your business career when you were young. That 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 wasn't there. Um, so, you've mentioned a couple of times what you're doing now, but um, because of your enigmatic way of introducing yourself. Um, our listeners don't yet know. So could you could you describe the AI thing you're doing? I know you wrote a book about AI, but this is beyond the book. This is after after the book. So perhaps you can talk about talk about what your what your current project is. Absolutely. And I will tell you why I started this also that kind of fits into this whole story. So 
during this journey of the point when I said that I could take a break and I had the opportunity to travel in different places of the world, what I saw that because access to knowledge became very democratized over the last five, seven years, um, there's a ton of people out there, they have the right motivation, the right skills, the right knowledge. Right, people living in Africa or even, even people who we saw in their 40s and 50s who want to switch their career, they, they can easily go and gain the knowledge, like say AI and machine learning, but they don't have access to opportunities. Unfortunately, and, and this is something when we were talking before, that hiring is still somehow biased towards younger people who are freshly graduated and also male, to be very honest. So, so typically, whenever a company is trying to hire, they, they look for a certain kind of uh, profile. Look at look at the CV, look at, oh, these are looks three years of experience this come, did from this university. So they're still biased. But that's not required anymore because there's so many people out there that have the right skills. But it's difficult to find them, to be very honest. So I, I started this, this company when I got motivated by saying, okay, how can I create a platform where people from all over the world that come together, they can collaborate, they can learn from each other and develop their careers and show to the world like what kind of skills they have built, what kind of knowledge they have done, right? This is very important. So that kind of idea what drive, drove me build Omdena. The other side of what I also saw, specifically in the AI field is that there's a lot of talk around AI for good. There's a lot of companies so-called say, oh, we are doing this in AI for good, mostly corporations, but they're not really serious about building something for social good. They were just kind of used it as a CSR and they're 90% of the business and 95% of AI, what they build is pure business process optim optimizations. So I was driven by, can I, one side, can I create a platform where, which provides opportunities for people from all over the world to come together, learn, share, develop their careers, build solutions that are meaningful for the world, while at the same time for organizations, mostly NGOs, but also impact startups, to, to, to build solutions that are more meaningful, that has more social impact and kind of those kind of uh, environments. So that's what drove me to build Omdena. So in short, I would say Omdena is a platform where collaborative people from all over the world, they come, they develop their careers, to the point to getting jobs and uh, starting earning money through the project and for organizations to come and build interesting impactful solutions. Great. And if you could just take us back, maybe in terms of numbers, where you are right now, and then we'll come back to how you got it up and running because you had the idea and I think the why is always important. So where are you right now in terms of numbers or users or revenue or whatever you want to share? So we started three, three and a half years ago. Until now, we have run over 320 projects um with uh, organizations i think around 120 organizations or startups have worked with us they come from 65 countries over 10,000 people have been part of at least one project uh, and they are from around 105 to 110 countries uh, in terms of uh, we also have this idea of local chapters so we have different chapters around the world who can open a chapter of the of omdena and, and run projects and we have um chapters in um I think now 55 to 57 countries uh, across the world, around 100, thing, I mean 110. Every month, you know, there are 10 to 15 new chapters joined. So it's just weird, but it's just the range. Around 50 to 50, 60 countries, you have chapters. Um, um, and yeah, that's the current state we are in. Uh, every month, around 2,000 to 2,000 people normally apply to, to join Omdena project, at least. Some of this, so that's an application we get. And we start every month around 20 to 25 new projects. Help me, help me understand just practically how does it work? So there's, uh, uh, you have this 
basically this base of people who are uh, data scientists, I guess, they're people that want to work on AI projects. And then, so and then, and how are you, how does it, and obviously chapters and stuff like that, I guess, are a way for, for managing it lo in a more local way, but how does it just organizationally, how does it work? Where do the projects come from? And then how do they get distributed? And who sets them up? I mean, project, it's like, or I guess, is it locally, is it, is it locally or, or do teams, are the teams distributed or depends yep. on the size of the project? Just a little bit, because it's, 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 it's very interesting. It seems massive, to be honest with you. Uh, or maybe it's just lots of small projects. It's hard for me to even grasp it. It's, it's so, yeah. so, so there are the three kinds of projects that we start, right, in, in Amdena. So let me talk about the, the core, which we call an eight weeks challenge, where it's always with an organization or a startup who provide us a project that they would like to build a social impact project. I will give an example so that people can understand. Let's say we worked with UNICEF and UNICEF came to us and said, hey, we would like to identify school locations in South Sudan. And we want to use satellite images to identify school locations in South Sudan. That is their project they had. Um, okay. And then we host a project. Uh, typically we get say 400, 300 applications for that given project. Then we select 60 to 80 people from that application pool. And, and then these 60 to 80 people then work together for eight weeks. It's a collaborative environment. So we have our internal processes, the tools and management that we have created so that these yeah. people collaborate over eight weeks to build the solution. Yeah, but that's a big, by the way, that's a big, you now you're talking about, you know, whatever your IP or whatever, that's a yes. big thing that you've, I mean, you, you made it sound really easy, but that's like the big piece. How do, how, what's the tool? What's the platform that they work in? How do they collaborate? Who's the project manager? How does this project broken up into, okay, anyway, but anyway, that all is your, whatever That's your core IP secret, secret sauce <laughs> and and uh and and then they use and then there they get plugged into this and then and so then and then like that's, and then the output is then given to the to the unicef and then they start using it so in fact if you go to google and search giga giga is this project giga UNICEF, yeah. giga and amdena you can see we worked with lots of this kind of organization like hot OS. we just finished a project with the hot OSM, which is a humanitarian open street map with the, with the, build, the solution that we build the model they are going to apply in the real world so these are real world projects so these are not okay. concept kind of models so that's one kind of project the other kind of projects are run by local chapters themselves which are also mostly with a partner organization. So we, what we really focus in is that you need to go and find a partner or we help you find a partner, they provide you the project and you build the solution for that project. Um, the local chapters are actually uh, more open source because they're the idea of education. More people come together, learn, develop, the, uh, like share. The, the previous one, the, the eight weeks score are not open source. These are, these are projects that are built for a particular organization that kind of going to use it. So mm -hmm. these are the kind of projects that we run. And then there's a third kind of project that we call top talent programs, which is basically the people that perform really well in these other projects that I said, they get paid work. Like, because the first two are more like you got, develop your skill, learn from each other, sharing and knowledge. But once you perform well, then the top talent programs is provides you uh, projects also with real world, like, you know, with companies that want to build a solution, uh, but they also get paid um and that's another kind of project we run so these are the okay so in that case um then it's charging the client yes of course. in the first two cases it's just uh it's uh it's no. pro bono first, or or yeah the, the 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 so you can look at the pyramid the lowest level is a local chapters there is no fee exactly okay. it's all open source and things 
the eight week score challenges, we ask a small fee, which is depends mm -hmm. on five to seven. It's an operational fee, very small amount of money, which mm -hmm. is value for this of organizations because mm -hmm. normally the same thing would cost them, let's say, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, and you know, mm -hmm. build something at a very fractional amount of time. Mm -hmm. And then the top talent is where we also charge money, and the collaborators get money. So, so what we create is kind of pyramid structure where so that both the collaborators can start their journey from Omdena local chapter, or we have something called Omdena School, which is also giving courses for free, also. Oh, nice. Yeah, so Omdena School is also something, it's, it's, there's also like where the collaborators actually, what we have seen that they want to build their courses. So they provide the courses for free and then other people can actually gain those experience and knowledge through doing those courses. So at the bottom of the pyramid, we have Omdena School and local chapters. This is more educational driven, learn by doing things. Then you perform well, you are invited to join the Omdena Core Challenges. Mm -hmm. then you then get some more additional benefits. So we have some paid courses, they get access to some premium courses and things like that, certain benefit structure. Mm -hmm. And then if you again perform well, then you move to the top talent where you start earning money. Okay, and this is really interesting. So it's basically helping somebody if you're self, if you're if you're self uh, motivated, and you want to help yourself out, you can just follow the route and, and get the skills. Now, what I'm thinking all the time is, you must have some automated way of uh or i mean or what's your way maybe of measuring like measuring and assessing because you have lots of people and you have to measure and assess these people and how do you get to the top obviously they're being measured and assessed on some scales somehow or uh what, what's that? can you talk at all about how that works i'm just kind of curious how does we have built some internal tools for that actually so we look at for example the github repository how what lines of code they're they're checking in we also look at their Slack conversation, like, you know, we use kind of every project is hosted in a Slack, right? So we see mm -hmm. how Slack conversation, they are, what kind of conversation they're doing. And then we have this referral system, like internal referral system that during the project, the cross referral, that if someone you are doing, so someone can refer to you, kind of, we can see that, you know, how well you are doing within the project. So this is all kind of, is a number attached to every week, we actually track the progress of every single collaborators. We give them some uh, kind of, let's say, a, a metric score between zero to i think uh, five and so we kind of track that that way is it automated or is it or is, there, is it i mean is it fully automated or when you say you look in the at the code i mean is that yeah, it's all automated yeah 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 it's all automated okay that's that's pretty cool. by, by, by the way Richard, <laughs> this is a podcast so when you're nodding <laughs> like a couple of times you nodded and i realized that the listeners wouldn't know you just said yes so, okay 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 um, yeah just so so yeah it is actually all automated. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I think w w when you were getting it started, was there like a quite often at the start of a project, there's this moment where you have a feel, yes, this is going to work, or maybe this isn't going to work. And when was the first moment you felt, wow, I've actually uncovered something that isn't really going to work? Was were there some sort of milestones or special days or emails or events that made you think, hmm, I'm onto something. This was a good idea. Yes. So that's actually, I think when, when I started, I was not really sure if it would end up being a business or even in the idea of making people collaborate, build something is kind of quite crazy. What really I realized right in the first few months was the kind of people that we were getting in who were applying to join these projects. And I was super surprised at that, the quality of people. Uh, like, of course, quality when I mean that on paper, their CV doesn't may not look that well. But when you when I when I read the applications, their personal history, and then when I saw what they were, how they were performing in the first few projects, uh, I remember I actually wrote an article at the time that we built a model to identify rooftops 
and solar installations. And the work that we did in two months was, you know, to me, surprising, like even companies for six months, you know, two people full time cannot do those kind of things. And so I was surprised in the very first few months to see the kind of work we are able to do, first of all, but also the kind of people who are interested to join this. And then I really realized that there's so, so many, so I call hidden gems, so many people around the world who are extremely talented, mostly like 40% of Amdena collaborators are females. The median age of Amdena collaborators are 35, 40. What happening is that, first of all, females, as you guys know, that you know, it's not always easy for them to move to you know, tech sector. But what we also saw that a lot of people are switching their careers mid in their 30s and 40s. And, and for them, it's very difficult to find opportunities to gain experience. And they, they are also very good. So, so we actually started in writing growth stories in our website. If you go, there's a blog page and there are growth stories. We highlight the people that their, their journey, how they are developed within six months, eight months, their career, starting from nowhere to getting jobs in Microsoft and Google kind of things. So, so this is where I realized, wow, that's something very interesting that there's a ton of people out there that would benefit from what we are building. Okay. So, so the first early sign was attracting them. You yep. surpassed your own expectations of the town. By the way, from time to time, you've referenced articles and blog posts. We will ask you to send us a list of those articles and blog posts so that our listeners can dive into the show notes, because I can imagine someone listening thinking, oh, what are these articles referring to? So we will do that for you, our listeners. So. That is really, so, you, you know, and you know in today's world that attracting a group of talented people is that's the kind of asset. It's, if you think of it in natural resources terms, it's like finding a, a, a field with good resources of gold or copper or something like that. Um, but in terms of the way you built this through community, can you talk about this? Because I, I, in prior conversations, you said that this is an aspect of your, you didn't want to raise venture capital, you didn't need outside money because of, the way you leverage community. Can you describe what you did and why you did it and what lessons or why you think it's important and a good way to go? Well, my my thoughts about the way the current VC environment is, venture capital environment, is that they all focus at maximizing the profits, which I understand, the returns of profits. They are not too much focused whether there's a long-term, you know, um, good for the world or even for the company. All they're looking is, okay, how can we grow a company? We pump money into the company. We make a rapid growth and then we can exit. That's, that's, that's the, the typical model. Now that definitely many times are not good for the world. That creates a superficial growth. Like when you pump money, you know, it creates a superficial growth, but then you're always loss making as we've got both of, you know, so many such companies have been like that. So, so this model of growth i don't agree to that and of course that adds to stress of the founders and and everyone right so so this is one model of growth that is actually most people try to follow the the other model of growth and this evolved while building amdina this is not something i had in the mind before when i started the company is where we are doing something that people genuinely love and paul graham once said that and i, I can see that in amdina also that it's better to have 100 people who love your product than a million people who kind of like your product. So that's what we saw in Omnia. If you even if you follow LinkedIn, and we have over 30,000 followers in LinkedIn, and everything is organic, like people write about Omnia, they, they shared, oh, this is what I did, this is what I learned, I, I learned this project, you could go and do this. So we had this group of people that love what we have built. And then you, you don't spend any money to grow because you you they are the ones who are going to talk about you. 
But then you also know when people talk about you that you are genuinely creating something meaningful. That you're creating something that is worth creating because you know you cannot you're not creating faking the growth here. And there, then that kind of growth is sustainable. First of all, uh, doesn't require a lot of money or it require much money to be pumped into uh, to create the growth. But also, I think that's genuinely good for the world because I don't think people will talk about things, at least in today's world, when people are becoming more and more conscious, they will talk about things that they don't normally like, or they don't think it's good for them or for the world. So, so the other side is engage the community, build something that they love, and then they will talk about it and it will organically grow. And that growth can be quite fast. Like I said, the Amdena numbers do say that they, you can grow across the world globally. And you know we have worked with organizations in 65 countries. That's quite big growth, but without pumping any, any money into the, 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 the growth, let's say. Mm -hmm. So that's what my uh, whole point is. To, to show an alternative model, because what I see in the startup ecosystem, and I start going to the startup events and things like that, is that it's a lot around pitch decks, present to the investors, raise money, grow. And, and, and that growth is, again, like three years, five years, exit. How would you exit? But my point is, if you really build something meaningful, you love what you do, why would you even want to exit? Um, you know, I actually, this is a, a something happened this year that someone in Amdena asked me, do I see myself being in Amdena five years or 10 years? And I didn't know the answer because I don't think that long term. But when I really thought through and I said, yeah, why not? Because I don't see anything else. I, what would I do? Um, and then I wrote this vision that I think where I would like Amdena to build in this 10 years time. And so I think that when we build something really that we love, engage in community, I don't need to exit in the next three or five years with a quick growth. I'm okay. <clears throat> That's an interesting question. So is Amdena like a nonprofit? Is it a, is it a corporation? What is it actually? Is it a privately held company? Yeah, it is a, it's not a nonprofit. It is a for-profit startup. Uh, I call okay. it for profit impact startup, but impact startup is not a category of you know, legal. Not a B corp, but uh, but of course the focus is like the, not maximizing profits. So, the, so this right. is like always the focus is maximizing value to the community and the people. Right. Um, and so, can you share a little bit? Because I'm kind of you sort of hinted at you wrote a. It sounds like you wrote a big sort of ten year or a, a futuristic. But where do you want to take uh, where do you want to take them then? Where where is it going to go? Like how, what's it going to be and where is it going to go? I, I, yeah, I'll answer this question. You know, the, the the way I always am amazed when I meet people who are in Amdena and the way they see Amdena. Like you know, I was in Saudi Arabia and the chapter lead of Saudi Arabia is a professor in university. She told me she's so glad to be part of this world-renowned organization. <laughs> And I was like, hey, which one? <laughs> and I which one? <laughs> and, and then she, another another person who told me that, oh, she's for him and he's from Africa, that Omdina is like the UN. It's like the UN of, of AI. And and these things makes me, you know, I learn That's most true. listening to the people. And then I thought, okay, what are we actually building here? Is it we are building a platform for AI development or are we building something much more bigger than that? And my point was, can I build the world's biggest impact platform? A, the biggest sorry platform? I didn't hear it. Sorry, the world's the, biggest impact platform. Uh, impact platform, okay. Yeah, what does that mean also? What is an impact, mm -hmm. right? Like we have to measure impact. But I'm saying, can I, through this platform, over a million people can get educated and not just educated theoretically to online courses, but actually practical experiences, building solutions, and finally getting jobs. Like that's the part. Yes. Can I do that in the next 10 years? Over a million people. And can I affect through the solutions that we are building? affect lives of over a billion people positively. 
Now we are working with you and we work with Save the Children. Now, the tools that we are really humanitarian and OpenStreetMap UNICEF, they are going to launch already reaching out to hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, right? So, so we we can build through AI solutions that can actually affect positively lives of so many people. So this is mm -hmm. what I came up with. Um, and the other way I always see that to me, am I building the world's biggest, I call it university. I think universities should be a place where people come learn from each other, building solutions, real world solutions, and also get jobs. So, so in a way, can I build the world's biggest impact platform, which is also, let's say, the biggest university of the world? Mm. Big girls. And I, I, I completely get the way you can automate the processes of training and maybe not get project management, but I, I'm taking it that you've, you've got that sorted and assessment and who's good and who's bad and so on, or bad needs to improve to be rated among the best. In terms of dealing with these organizations, that sounds a little harder to automate and like a bit more like enterprise sales, that if you have a UNICEF calling you or sending you an email, have you managed to automate the process of onboarding, if you let's call them clients or project requesters? Because, you know, in my experience, those big, big organizations quite often have very inefficient ways of being sold to it. So for enterprise sales and, you know, guys in suits and good looking uh, young people have to go and fly and see them and talk to them and stuff like that. So how do you deal with that side of it? Because that sounds quite labor intensive, talking to those project originators. Maybe this I'm is... wrong. Yeah, so my experience is we don't work with corporations, but NGOs. Yeah, we do work with big NGOs. So, for example, we are part of this group, uh, which is $500 million funded by USAID, and we are building solutions across the world. Now, what I have seen that NGOs are very interesting. Like, first of all, when what we are building in Amdena, the first year of Amdena, we did everything for free. Now, we didn't charge. We couldn't charge money from it. We built interesting solutions. And then we went to these NGOs and showed, oh, these are the things that we have built. There are they got then very interested in the way we are building this community engagement building air solutions so and then there was a word of mouth people were started talking about um then actually to each other so we didn't really have to go and sell a lot actually with these ngos we never bet any of those our clients still now actually <laughs> and 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 it's what i have seen that in the ngo space it's um they there are very few startups and this is something i also observed that they were actually selling solutions to ngos or they are mostly selling to other startups or, or big corporations because it's very difficult to, to bridge that gap to, to, to reach an NGO. But once you start working with few of those, like we are working with Catholic Relief Services for over a year, we are working with, have worked with UNICEF, UN, Save the Children, then you build the trust and then others want to work with you also, kind of same things. So once you have these few references, then it's, it's not that difficult actually. Um, so that's not, what so my... not so much in terms of sales, but like project management that you know, have you managed, uh, because it seems to me that, that it, whether they're a client you've sold to, but once a project starts, do you need a human being to like report back to yep. the people for whom you're building a solution? If you've got 500 organizations running projects, that, may, that might mean you need 200 people or 100 people or something like that to report back. So how do, how do you deal with that interaction with the project? So at, at, at any given point, there is a head of projects. And there's a project manager in every project. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the head of projects is the one who is the first point of contact with the project manager, who is point of contact with the partner, and they do the interaction. The management in the project is actually minimum from our end. What we have created is the, the core IP, as I say, is more a, an environment that is called, I call bottom-up environment, where people are actually learning from each other, sharing 
not top-down structure, but more of a bottom-up structure, where they are intrinsically motivated to be part of the project. They, they are solving this problem because they want to learn and build something interesting. <clears throat> so you don't need any more top-down structure management. So within the project, the management is most very light end, very bottom up, just creating an environment for people to collaborate and have the right motivations and structure to build those solutions. And then we have a project manager and, and a head of projects who would kind of you know, coordinate, let's say from the partner to the, to the collaborators. So that's kind of where we have. Are those people that also end up so you're creating, it, it's, is the university for them too? Or is it also a university for project managers? Are they learning to project manage? Are those people you need to, like they come up through the, because it yes. sounds like a lot of this is with these AI data scientists, but I mean, there must, is there a, is there a track for project yes. managers or something like exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Okay. Actually, in the website, you'll see we have four tracks yeah. of development. One okay. is an engineering track where you purely become an engineer writing code. And there is a, yeah community lead track where you develop yourself to go and open right exactly chapters. then we have a research stack track where you're actually working on we work for example we have been working with sophia robot to build Com compassion ai or Com conscious ai that's a research stream but they can go and publish articles and we actually are launching our own journal actually ai research journal so they can publish articles and then we have this project management kind of more we call it startup or management kind of project management which is their route so we have defined a four different paths to develop for individual and they can choose where which one they want okay. to okay yeah so it's almost it's like resource management it's uh well we call it community but i mean like how you get the people uh is one piece how you manage the projects how you do the engineers and sorry and the third what engineering and right? research oh and the research and the research yes of course mm -hmm. very 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 interesting actually i think and where what what i have to ask Amdena, where does the name come from <laughs> so <laughs> Um, interestingly, when we started the company, when I started the company, the Amdena name was just a six letter which has .com available. So that was no meaning for that. <laughs> but it was a few months later, I realized that it has a very deep meaning and actually very uh, meaning which is very ma makes sense for what we are doing. So Amdena, as you can see, there's two words you can om, yeah. om, yeah. Sanskrit word for universe or unification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dena is also a Sanskrit word, also in Hindi, which means to give. Oh. So, so you can actually combine universal that. giving yeah so you can say that it's it's a place where your goal is to unify the universe and the and the goal is to give to the back to the world nice nice name i saw the um i of course the um i was pretty sure the um maybe was from the um that i thought but the the rest of it i didn't i didn't know that um mm -hmm. and so and so this is so this is something you want to do like for uh the foreseeable few, like well obviously there's a lot of work like, it's, there's still what you just outlined in terms of the world uh university um there's a lot of work i guess there's a lot of work to get there so uh but that it sounds it sounds like something that you're basically fully engaged and are you alone like uh, are, i mean obviously you're working with lots of great people but like there's no other do you have anybody else um like there's no other co-founder or anybody else that you yeah. I don't know. has no co-founder. There's a founding team member. There are a couple okay. of founding team members, but there's of course employees around 22, 23 employees who are full-time core team employees, like head of projects, head of community. Okay. Head of okay. Kind of employees, and then we have this kind of structure. So this is how the the, the company is, um, and yeah, this is something I I would love to do. I mean, when I thought about 
my life, you know, what I really, really enjoy. And I thought education is something that I, I really always enjoyed, whether it was speaking. I was never speaking because it was not an ego thing or something, because I enjoyed sharing my knowledge. I think education is something I, I presume see myself doing for the rest of the life. And that's what makes a lot of sense with Namdana also. Like it's basically a platform to educate, but through solving real world problems. Mm. I really that really speaks to me. I'm also I, I'm I'm a believer in that. So a couple of questions. One about how you work with or in some way collaborate or compete with existing educational systems that obviously people study this stuff. There's loads of other people interested in teaching and learning this subject. The second thing is whether you think the idea of this platform could work in other areas, whether it's, you know, programming or, you know, engineering, you know, chemical engineering or, you know, protein design. Can you imagine a sort of omdena of X? which does the same mechanism in a different domain than AI. Uh, and um, how do you view and how are you viewed by educational institutions? Yeah, so I will answer the first one. Um, we are actually building partnerships with universities. We like we have started partnership with the University of Ladakh. We're giving degree courses on AI, driven by Omdena. So Omdena is kind of giving the education. So what do you, why universities I don't see them as competitors. Why they want to partner with us? We are partnering with different universities. It's because um, they realize that there's a lot around theoretical knowledge. You know, everything is around theory. You go and learn theory, but you need practical real world experience, specifically in fields like AI and these kind of things. So they want to be part of, or at least collaborate with Tomdena because we provide, can have access to this community, the global community. Also, you learn from each other across the world. So it, often in university setting, you are sitting in a classroom with people who are similar to you. You know, it may be gender and race may be different, but mostly you have same social background, similar kind of age group. What we see a lot in Namdina, when we run a project, the age group is from 16 till like, you know, uh, 60. We have project managers who are 50, 60 years old, and you are working in a, such a diverse environment to learn a lot from each other. So this is what they also realize the value of Namdina. So, so I think that that's where I see the education university is actually being a partner. Same with online courses. Actually, one of our partners is deeplearning.ai, and deep learning is really big. You know, they have like I don't know, half a million or a million followers. They're quite big, and they are a partner of Amdena also because, uh, as a community, we are much smaller than them. But I think that the value that they see is again this practical-driven project experiences. So, so that's where I see the the, the with other education institutions. Um, in terms of the other part of the question that whether I see Amdena for X and Y, um, the there is one act thing that makes Amdena work specifically in AI is the collaboration part. Now, why does collaboration or this 60, 80 people team make sense for AI innovation, let's say? Um, it makes sense because typically when you try to solve a problem using AI and machine learning, you do not know which algorithm would be the best. So you need to try out multiple approaches, perhaps simultaneously, to see which one is the best fit. Now that works, then what happens is 60 to 80 people creates this multiple task and each of them kind of trying to solve the problem through different tasks and they, they discuss with each other, they share the knowledge and then they see which is the winner idea, let's say, and then they say, okay, this is the model that works. Now, on the, this is the basic essence of the design. So it would work in environments which has similar structure. For example, software engineering will not work. Because in a software engineering, you're not trying different approaches. You know the path well-defined. You often know this is what I have to write a code, I have to create a backend, database, and things like that. 
but wherever there's an exploration aspect. So for example, it could potentially work in marketing, growth marketing or uh, sales that you need to know what approach might work, what kind of things could work. So I think those kind of environments where there's an innovation aspect, innovation to me is like you try different approaches, don't know, product design might work well. There, I think the Omdena approach would work. That's interesting. So it's not really dependent. It's actually counterintuitive. I would have thought that a more structured thing, somewhere something like software engineering, no. would be would would work, but it actually doesn't because, and that's maybe that's part of the bottom up that you're talking about yeah. because you have this bottom up model, which yes. I find fascinating. I think that's an awesome way. Would somehow somehow limit management. Yes. So actually, it's a savings somehow if you can actually create a bottom up. We couldn't have built Omdena through top-down structure. There is no way. Yeah, we could exactly, exactly. That's and right. obviously, we're, we're recording this just at the beginning of 2023, and obviously, in the last few months, the AI and the GTP chat, GPT chatbot has vastly popularized, and there are even I think there are 700 startups trying to build things on top of that technology. And do you sometimes to come across ideas or applications of AI where you think, hmm, that's so interesting that I'd like to run my own project to do this or that, that you sort of see problems where you'd like to uh, use AI for some particular goal or project just because you're a creative person, you come up with new ideas? Or do you think when that happens, you think I have to leave that because Odema is my big thing and I need to focus? Yeah, one thing that Richard, uh, this interesting question you ask, and one of the things that I learned in the last two, three years is the most important thing in building something really good is focus. I mean, and I, I, I was listening to one quote from Steve Jobs, and I really liked what he said. He said, or from not from Steve Jobs, or from someone else who said Steve Jobs said him that, that focus is not about things that you give up because you don't want to do. Focus is things that you don't give up, things that you really want to do, but still don't do it because exactly. that is more important to do. So, yeah. so that's actually what I've learned building up there. There's so many other things I can do, yes. And in fact, even traveling, speaking, you know, I stop my speaking arrangements a lot. I don't go much anymore. I don't accept hardly speaking once a month, maybe, or once in two months, because I want to focus. I really enjoy the kind of, you know, do things that I really enjoy and just keep on doing that. So, so that I think that that's focus is the most important thing. Mm. And I mean, obviously we're getting towards the end of our allotted time. And I'm still thinking that, you're obviously the founder, you're the leader. Um, is the organization dependent on you or could you have a heart attack or get hit by a bus tomorrow and it carries on? And like, do you see this building something that's got longevity going beyond yourself? Are you aiming to sort of work yourself out of the organization's bed? Or maybe you've already done that. What's your role in the organization? Could it, what, could it carry on growing without you? I, I think not yet. I think that uh, it will not, but definitely I would love to be a place where it can run by itself. It has the right processes, the, the management, everything so that, and I don't need to be there. Um, it has over the time from the first year to now, I, my time is much less spent on actually operational things. So I already see that, um, but not because I, I don't want to do that because I think, you know, I want to retire. I want to do that because I think organizations should not be so much driven by one person or personality. I think organizations should have its own processes, tools that people can follow and run it. So that's why I want to do that. Mm. Right. So, I mean, it's difficult when you're growing rapidly and things are evolving, you know, to automate that and make it all work quietly. <clears> it's <throat> very, very hard. Um, 
I mean, there's definitely a period of time where having a leader is way more efficient. It's the most efficient way to get things done and to get things. It's like you will grow faster, I, I believe, you know, but it's like, but at the same time, I think what you're saying is once you get it set to a certain, once you get it set on its way, then having these these things, but I, actually, I don't think you, you you don't can't do that too early. I don't think you can just too early just be like, okay, you know, I'm gonna, uh, you know, I think that there's a huge efficiency for saying, you know, we're gonna do it like this, let's do it like this, you know, and let's not muck around with anything, and like you just let's do it basically. And you can help drive, as you said, the um, the whatever the priorities are, you know, like they're, they're even within the organization. I mean, Richard is asking you personally if you see opportunities, but the same thing happens within the business, I assume, itself, right? I mean, you can, what should we do? Should we do these 10 things? No, let's do these three things that we think, let's do them really well, basically. I, I'm not sure if that's, but if, if you agree, but, but I, I think there's a role for, you know, for a human and for like the leader, basically, to at that point. Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe as you comment on that, you could describe your own leadership style because I think that's a really interesting question. I'd like to love to hear how you describe your, how do you describe your own leadership style while you answer Kim's question. I mean, that also evolves. You know, at the first year I was doing a lot of things myself, so you know, talking to people. But I think now, what where where I'm, yes, I think I don't spend a lot of time on operational thing. I think I spend not much actually because there's employees, they have responsibilities, and they do that. So I think what I'm trying to do more is. Um, creating the right processes to make sure that we all work as a team. I think that's one of the things that is quite important because otherwise everyone kind of goes in their own direction. So how do you make all of these people work as a team? That they have the same vision, that all together see that together the vision that we see where we are going as a team together. The second thing that I actually did also a month ago, because some we, we are when we hire people, I again let them figure it out themselves. And, and they often told that they would like to know what is the culture of the company? And I kind of wrote down the company culture. This actually is in the website, the 12 points of the company culture that, you know, we expect you to learn by himself or things like that. I wrote it down. How, what it defined as a culture of being in Amdena. So that actually helps also the people to feel that they're part of one team together. So I think that, that what I am at least now focused a lot is how do, we, do I create an environment where everyone feels that we are one part of one team, yes. one company, not individual departments trying to optimize individual things. Very and good. you just touched on culture, which is, yeah, exactly the <laughs> mystical thing in between everything. And how do you, because it's great to have 12 points, but how, do the, how does everybody get unified and believe, you know, I mean, that is, and that really does take a, a leader, an individual to, to do. So and back and do you go around? I mean, like I suspect do you spend a lot of time traveling around the like just getting to meet like the the chap whatever. Do you go to the chapters? Do you, how do you? No, no not much. <laughs> so actually, <laughs> even the people who work for the core employees of Dumtena, they are in twelve countries now, actually from Vietnam, right. Philippines to the U.S. So even I have met them only like all together as once last year only we met in Turkey. So I think uh, you know that's also I'm learning like how do you create this environment? But what I've seen that. The, the intrinsic and the extrinsic motivation are very important, both combined. So intrinsic is they feel that they're part of something meaningful, something good, they're doing something good in the world, yeah. and developing, that's one. At the same time, extrinsic, okay, they're getting enough money and they have a career growth and things like that they can earn. Yeah. So the, keeping that in sync is very important. So as long as we have this in sync, I don't think there's a lot of need to kind of have being friends. I mean, I don't, actually don't 
want to be be friends with our colleagues, with people I work with. I just think, okay, we, I create this environment for you. You clearly know this is what you get. This is what your benefits are. This is financial, intrinsic, extrinsic. This is where you can grow. And then we all have the same common vision together. That this is where the company is going. And I think that kind of brings them together. Uh, this is what I'm trying to do. And, and that's... Yeah, I think you have a huge, let's say, competitive advantage or whatever you want to call it. But uh, a, uh, in the fact that you're what you're doing, like what you're calling intrinsic, <clears throat> the intrinsic motivation is like basically making the world better. I mean, like a lot of companies say they do that, <laughs> but they're not, to, but it's hard to really, and then they give, they pitch it and they show how they're doing, but you're literally, you know, like whatever, if you're sourcing school sites in Southern Sudan, I mean, that that, that that's clearly a positive that's a positive for the world. So I, I think that ha that has to help a lot for just people sort of being feeling part of the the team or feeling part of the the you know the mission basically. They they want to be part of the mission basically. So that 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 definitely is a good thing. So what, what, what one final question connected with leadership and culture because I think culture can be defined as shared experience. And if you see something that's not aligned. Can you give an example of a tough decision you had to take or where someone was definitely not aligned with your vision of what the culture was and what you as the leader did about it? Because I think often the test of an organization is when things are difficult or when things are, when everything's going fine, it's easy. So can you give an, has there been any example of something difficult where you saw things were wrong in some behavior or activity or direction and you had to intervene and and do something to set things back on track because those examples can be very telling. Maybe there isn't one, but if there is, please, could you share it? From Amdena, I, I think one example that comes to my mind is internal conflict between the, the, the people, right? You know, there was this, I remember, this was a case where one girl was felt offended by something that someone said in the call. And, and you know, so the cultural difference people come from different backgrounds different culture you know it also happens coming on like they perceive things differently like someone in from pakistan said something you know which was for him a casual point but someone from the us let's say got offended and how do you deal with those kind of things so these this is one of the the challenges that i personally faced and there is i mean at least luckily we haven't had a lot of those cases the, the way i had to do was basically to call with both of them and try to see those points kind of that's what i would say the closest challenge that i had faced at least in in Indiana, that how do you bridge the cultural gap and kind of people from different backgrounds come together and they can misinterpret each other yeah i think i think the, the point that i'd highlight that for our listeners is that you had to make a call with each of them afterwards but you know if if, if you want a good cut just not intervening on something there may not be the company's on fire but if you intervene on the little things when they're going off track then the word gets around that this really matters because the fact you devoted time to it and you made the calls the fact that you cared and you, enough to follow up sends a very powerful message but it's not just the slogan on the website that you actually took some action and did something about it um, so is there anything I, that we haven't asked that you, you think is important to our listeners at all, that, you know, something that is really important that you say, well, why haven't you asked me about this or that? No, I don't think there's anything like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, I think... I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I'll, I, one more question, at least for me. So yeah, is, this, this podcast is, is, you know, is for, you know, we hope it inspires people to be entrepreneurs, to want to be entrepreneurs. Um, to understand what it's like. Is there anything, is there any advice you would give to any 
I, I, I was going to say young, but you know, there's a lot of ageism. Any age person that's that's thinking to themselves, you know, maybe I want to set something up for myself. Maybe I want to do something. You're 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 a person that has done it a couple times now. Would is there any advice or anything you would share for anybody like that? Well, I mean, this is the same what I think most people say is just, you know, if you have something, just go and do it. You know, there's don't be afraid of failures and things like that, which is, I'm sure they have heard many times. So it's, <laughs> that's all it is, you know, just go and do you it. You don't have any Eastern slant on it, maybe something new that we can, I, I like the Eastern uh, slant, actually, that maybe we shouldn't take some of these things so seriously. Well, then I will say this way that I, I, I also say this thing that imagine what you want to do. It could be startup or anything in life, imagine in three years time, what you are going to do is going to fail, right? It could be relationships, could be startups, could be anything in life. Imagine in three years is going to fail. Then ask yourself, will you still do it for the next three years? If the answer is no, then don't do it anyways. But if the answer is yes, then only do it because do it for the journey, not for the end result. See, thank you. <laughs> That's exactly what I was looking for. I knew you could do it. <laughs> thank you very much. So, so really, thanks. Thanks so much for your time. I found this very interesting. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. And uh, so I wish you the best of luck. I'll be a cheerleader rooting, uh, rooting them then on. It. Uh, I've, I've been watching from the sidelines for a while anyway. But uh, but yeah, I like I like what you're doing. And I, I learned a lot today. So thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Kimon, and thanks, Richard, for, for coming, getting back to me. And I loved the conversation. It's always nice to, to have this chat, actually. <laughs>